It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Headaches, headaches, aspirin commercials give me headaches, just when I'm feeling chipper as you please. That's when they show me all my sinus cavities. Headaches, headaches. Those sponsors don't care how my headaches. See that announcer, he looks so fine. His head should ache like mine. Headaches, headaches. Those pounding hammers give me headaches They say it once and then they say again Oh, tension, pressure, pain Oh, tension, pressure, pain Headaches, headaches Those sponsors love it when my headaches Mother, don't hand me those pills from the shelf I'd rather do it myself. (laughs) 
sponsors love it when my head aches. There is one remedy that's unsurpassed. And their commercials give me headaches. Fast, fast, fast. Headaches. Headaches. Aspirin commercials give me headaches. Today I swallowed the best cure yet. I ate my TV set. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, starting out on kind of a light note with uh, humorist Alan Sherman. And uh, his, he's best known for Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, but I always loved his uh, takes on old familiar tunes and rewriting the lyrics. And that sets the stage for this first hour today. It is Wednesday, which means we're just an hour away from two hours of commentary and analysis uh, on our weekly roundtable armchair politics. And um, the author of the book, uh, American Schism, who's a sponsor of the show and been on the show recently talking about uh, that book, American Schism, Seth David Radwell will be joining our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national uh, headlines uh, in politics and current events. But we're going to start out this hour talking about health care with... radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman talking about his uh, newest in the the, uh, Hidden History series. He's been on the show several times talking about different installments of this series, but the new one is The Hidden History of American Healthcare, Why Sickness Bankrupts You and Makes Others Insanely Rich. And uh, we'll be talking with uh, Tom here by phone in uh, just just a minute or so and uh, I reached out and I don't know if we'll have a chance to to squeeze this in a little later in the hour or not to um, a political analyst from San Francisco to talk about yesterday's uh, California recall election Um, Governor Newsom has has beat the recall effort and uh, if if we can we'll squeeze in a little a little bit of news from California before we before we get to armchair politics, but but let's uh, let's get rolling with uh, radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman about his book, The Hidden History of American Healthcare. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, the host of America's number one progressive talk radio show and a New York Times bestselling author of 32 books, which includes the Hidden History series. We're going to talk about the newest in that series today with radio host and author Tom Hartman, who joins me by phone. Hi, Tom. Welcome back. Hey, Tom, it's great to be with you, and thanks so much for having me back on your program. Um, we've talked about some of the books in the Hidden History series, but uh, this one is new and kind of timely, actually. The Hidden History of American Healthcare, Why Sickness Bankrupts You and Makes Others Insanely Rich. Um, was this inspired by the pandemic, or was that coincidental? Uh, I don't <laughs> recall. I'd have to go back and, and look at my correspondence with the publisher because, you know, t- typically these books are, are planned a year and a half before they're published. Um, it takes me about six to ten months to, to research and write them, and, and then, you know, it, it takes the publisher a while. So I don't think so. I think that I pitched this book before the pandemic, but it, it might have been right around the beginning. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't recall. Well, and and I didn't ask you that to put you on the spot, Tom. I, I was just curious because it is kind of timely. Although, um, because of the advance on the publishing date, um, and I'm looking at an advance uh, copy, and in the introduction uh, or the preface, um, you, you talk about the fact that uh, the the publishing deadline and so on occurred before the uh, results of the November 2020 uh, election. Yeah, so I guess we were still figuring that stuff out. Um, uh, yeah, that that actually is uh, that doesn't appear in the regular the final book. That was the preface from the oligarchy book that somehow got slapped into the into the. Uh, uh, what do you call it, the galley that you received, you know. Yeah. Um, should, so. And and also on the cover of this galley, and and this is another just sort of haunting uh, aside, um, is a quote, I would gladly follow Tom Hartman into hell. I'd be unafraid because with Tom there, I'd know the devil's minions couldn't touch me from Ed Asner, who passed away this month. Is is yeah. that on the final book, I hope? Yeah, it is. Ed, Ed was a good guy. He, he was, uh, when, we, the, when we first started our radio show back in 2003 and on a little station in Burlington, Vermont, um, I was trying to uh, put together a nice tape that might pick us up some other affiliates, and Ed was kind enough to come on as a guest. We didn't know each other at the time. We had friends in common. And uh, he just did a great job, and that tape made you know got me on Sirius XM. It was just serious back then, and on IE America Radio Network, and it was just off to the races from there. So, and we kept in touch throughout the years, uh, you know, as as well as with his his uh, ex wife Cindy, who's now, just a wonderful person. I was I was thrilled to see that in this new book, the the hidden history of American healthcare. You make an observation that I made back when uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare as it's known, was uh, first passed. I I referred to it, you know, among friends and and colleagues as the Save the Insurance Company bill. 
<laughs> and 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 I was just thrilled to see you you know even you know looking back even though you're talking about you know contemporary times and what we should do next and so on but but looking back at that and saying that's where it went wrong we we almost got it right but um Joe Lieberman and uh and and some republicans uh, really stood up and made sure that uh, the insurance companies were well represented in that legislation. Yeah, well represented, well taken care of, well compensated. <laughs> Absolutely. They, uh, I mean, you know, basically, and this is not to to denigrate Obamacare. I mean, it, it was a major accomplishment um, using the or, for-profit or, healthcare system, or a big effing deal as. Uh, then Vice President Joe Biden observed on an open mic. Right, right. <laughs> you know, to, to, to actually use this this uh, kludge system that we have to get health care to every American. And, you know, had John Roberts on the Supreme Court not uh, gutted the, uh, the individual mandate provision and the uh, Medicaid expansion provisions, uh, everybody in America would have gotten health care and, and it would have been actually cheaper than it is right now. But it still required, or it still, you know, rested on the foundation of for-profit health insurance, and that's that's the fatal flaw because the health, the for-profit health insurance industry is one that, in its in its form, in the way in the way and size that it exists, is unique to the United States. Uh, no other country has anything like it, and it is basically a, a tick on our back. It's a giant blood-sucking leech that extracts about twenty percent of all our healthcare dollars unnecessarily. I remember, uh, oh, shoot, and now I'm not going to be able to remember his name. Um, uh, oh, shoot, I wish I could remember his name. I, I, I had a conversation. He was uh, the the candidate who ran against Barack Obama for the Illinois Senate. I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> well, but go ahead. Well, I, I was hoping it would, you know, it would pop right up for you because I had a conversation with him. He's a very extremely conservative Republican named Dr. Alan Keyes, and we were talking. Oh, yeah. We were talking about health care, and I found it really interesting because you are clearly progressive. He is clearly conservative, and yet you were both saying the same thing about insurance companies. There is no other transaction in American commerce that you know that that would allow for um, an insurance company or a third party to determine what you can purchase and and he was saying imagine if you had an insurance company that would tell you what kind of car you could buy right right more about health care with progressive radio host and new york times best-selling author tom hartman straight ahead hello out there everybody it's me tigger t-i-double-g-r that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs> i'm julie lopez with crime stoppers have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous well here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. 
All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about health care with progressive radio host and New York Times bestselling author Tom Hartman straight ahead. Here are two opposite sides of the aisle, almost diametrically opposed people politically, 
pointing out the same flaw in the American healthcare system, which a lot of people argue is the best healthcare in the world. And it's not. It's not. We 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 have uh, overall among the thirty four OECD countries, we are uh, overall eleventh uh, in terms of healthcare outcomes. When it comes to things like infant mortality and maternal death, we are the lowest of the 34 countries. In fact, we're in the range of some third world countries. The only There's only one area where America does better than any other country in the world in terms of health outcomes, and that's breast cancer. And that has nothing to do with the health insurance system or, if, for that matter, has very little to do with our, our hospitals and medical system. That is the result of a bunch of women getting active in the 1970s uh, when it was determined clearly and finally and definitely that if you could do a self-exam, a self-breast exam, and there was the, the technique for doing this was finally clearly laid out, and you could teach women to do this, and they did it every every month and just tested and checked themselves out and caught breast cancer when it was early, you could dramatically reduce breast cancer mortality rates. And that group of women who were not physicians and not part of the medical establishment uh, became a movement that, that it was very substantial in this country for the better part of 20 years, uh, right up until the late 90s. And still, and there's still an echo of it, but now it's just become part of our culture and part of just the, the wisdom that, you know, girls learn growing up. And uh, other countries are just now starting to emulate that. But we were way ahead of that curve, and so we have better breast cancer outcomes. But that's it. Any other disease you get, you're far more likely to survive it or live longer in pretty much you know, uh, any, any other developed country than here. The, um, and the one solution that you offer, and, and it's described as a simple solution, is Medicare for all, and yet there are a lot of people that are really opposed to that. Is opposition purely political, or are there some structural flaws that that would need to be repaired before it would be the right answer? Well, the the opposition is principally financial. You've got a a trillion dollar industry you know, the, the health insurance industry that would be made redundant, would be unnecessary if you had Medicare for all. And they don't want to go out of business. In fact, one of my proposals at, at the end of the book is ways to solve this problem because they will throw hundreds of millions of dollars at any po- against any politician who promotes Medicare for all, uh, as, as Bernie Sanders found out. Um, the, the solution, one of the solutions I proposed is that we simply buy them. You know, I mean, you could buy all the big health insurance companies for about $1.2 trillion, which was less than the Trump tax cuts, and uh, and then just roll all of their employees into the Medicare system and, you know, make space for them and, and do it ourselves. Um, in terms of, of uh, the things that would need to be done with Medicare to make it work better and be better and all that kind of stuff so it could become a Medicare for all system, the main one is getting rid of that 20% uh, gap. Uh, Medicare only covers 80% of your health expenses when you're over 65, and you have to buy a, what's called a Medigap policy, a, a health insurance policy that fills in that remaining 20%. That 20% hole was put there by the Dixiecrats, the Southern Democrats back in the 60s when Medicare was rolled out, to try to make it difficult for black people to get health care. 
um, on the assumption being that they wouldn't be able to afford the 20%, and therefore they just wouldn't show up at the doctor's office or the hospital. And and that uh, kind of racism has been, as I detail in the book at some length, uh, you know, an animating force in, in, uh, in fact, is the main reason why the United States is literally the only developed country in the world that doesn't declare that health care is a right, that doesn't make sure that every citizen has health care, has full access to health care, and, uh, and, you know, and we're stuck with this weird pro for-profit system that bankrupts over a half million Americans every year. doesn't happen in any other country. No other country do, do you have large numbers of medical bankruptcies. And uh, so, anyhow, they, we'd have to get rid of that 20% gap. Um, but if we did that, we'd be in Fat City. Is it is it a stretch, Tom, to to roll the the concept of public health into the phrase "life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness"? Well, the, the, both the preamble and Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution mention the general welfare. Um, I I think that was understood then and is understood now as something that is under the purview of the government. Um, George Washington was the first president to sign legislation taking federal money to be used to care for the poor. It was specifically in Washington D.C., but they they had a uh, they had a, a pauper's home uh, that we paid for the food, we paid for medical care, we paid for clothing, uh, we paid for an orphanage in Washington D.C. Um, the first single payer health care system in the United States was mandated by the next president, John Adams. It was uh, because uh, America at that time, we were growing very, very rapidly uh, in terms of international trade. We were taking on the East India Company. And so the merchant marine, uh, that is the these private com- private sailors, you know, sailors who work for private businesses, um, were so essential to the United States that we passed a law requiring uh, you know, all of them to be part of the single-payer health care system that the, that the federal government paid for. That was, that was in the 1790s. Well, uh, let, me, so, let, me, let, me ask, uh, let me ask this, because I'm still kind of curious and a little fuzzy about it, and you've done a lot of uh, research into this. Um, when the Affordable Care Act was being debated before it was passed, and it, there was a lot of talk about some doctors who preferred a single-payer health care system. What is the difference between a single-payer health care system and, and what you're proposing with Medicare for All? There is none. Medicare for All is a single-payer system. A single-payer simply means that there's one entity that pays the bills. In this case, it would be the federal government. Um, let me give you an example. There is a hospital in New York City uh, with 529 beds, as I recall. It's the examples in the book. Um, and there is a very similar hospital in Toronto that has like 523 beds. I mean, they're almost identical in terms of what they offer, what the facilities are, how many patients they treat, you know, pretty much identical hospitals. The one in New York City has a floor and a half filled with people who do nothing but handle billing because they're dealing with dozens of different insurance companies and different states and different Medicaid systems and, and individual payers and, and, and people wanting to put things on credit cards and do time payment and everything else. The hospital in Toronto has one office with two desks and three people who handle all the payments for the entire hospital. 
And so the hospital in in New York is spending literally millions of dollars a year just collecting money. And the, the hospital in Toronto is probably spending, you know, 100 grand a year doing that. That's that's amazing. What about the notion that that health insurance companies by design prefer to treat illness over wellness? Health insurance companies? I mean, it's I, I, we have a we have a system. Really oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I said that completely wrong, Tom. I, I meant the phar- pharmaceutical companies. Oh yeah. Well, you know they they don't make money until somebody gets sick. Um, but I think that the the big issue here, and the one that you're touching on, Tom, is the one of what's what economists refer to as perverse incentives. Um, I, I was in Denmark uh, doing my show about I don't know six eight years ago. And I, uh, as you as you know, I love to get conservatives on and try to debate things with them. And so I had one of the most conservative, the Danish politicians, on the show. And I was like, "Well, you're so you're a conservative here." And he's like, "Yeah, I lead the movement." And and I'm like, "So you must just hate this national healthcare system." And he says, "What are you crazy?" And 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 so then I said, "Well, you know, I and we had just uh, Louise and I had just been in, in had lunch in downtown Copenhagen, and they had just shut a couple of streets down and turned them into bike only areas, which seemed like a very liberal kind of Portland thing to me. So I said, "Well, you, you must be really upset about the fact that there's streets now in in downtown Copenhagen where there's no cars allowed." And he's like, "No, I think that's wonderful." And I'm like, "Why?" And he says, "Because it's going to lower my taxes." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, the more people who ride bicycles, the fewer heart attacks we're going to have. The healthier people are going to be. The healthier people are, the less I have to pay in taxes because our health care system is paid for with our taxes. And so, you know, that's a, that's a that positive incentive. When the entire country has skin in the game, as it were, with getting the entire country healthy, then you get social uh, uh, nudges to eat well, to exercise, to not smoke, to, to, to not drink too much, to behave in ways that will keep you healthy and keep you living longer. On the other hand, here in the United States, there's a lot of money to be made off people being sick, and there's very little money you know, saved by people being well at the societal level. And so we have this obesity epidemic among adults and children now, unlike anywhere else in the world, with children in particular. We have, um, you know, type 2 diabetes through the roof. We've got uh, heart disease. We've got, I mean, we've just got this whole collection of diseases that uh, are sometimes described as lifestyle diseases that if we were all as a society, as a culture, as a country, if we were all working together to pay for the expense of treating people with these diseases, we would be thinking about how can we prevent these diseases? But instead, you know, we just sit back and we let the, the junk food companies sell the junk food and let the alcohol companies promote alcohol and let the tobacco companies, you know, sell their cigarettes to kids and on, on it goes. Well, and it's, and it's interesting you're talking to, you know, a conservative in Denmark and, and I was talking to a conservative here in the States, um, and and that sort of reinforces uh, something you said about it. It's not politics. It's it's not um, conservative versus liberal. Uh, um, 
that it's it, the problems really stem from money and it only becomes political to the degree and you and I've talked about this before Tom that money drives the wheels of politics that ultimately uh, lead to the way we're governed. Yeah, and that's and that you can thank the Supreme Court for, you know, a series of decisions starting in the 70s uh, that culminated in Citizens United. And, and uh, you know, here we are. You're absolutely right. And and this is this is why I, I, you know, suggested that maybe the best way to deal with the insurance companies is just to buy them. And and that's that's an interesting uh, an interesting notion. And the price tag is is uh, surprisingly affordable. I, I, I know it. Yeah. I know it kind of goes over my head and and others' heads when you start ta- you know using the T word and and talking in in terms of trillion dollars plus. But you know when you when you compare it to the Trump tax cuts or, you know, other initiatives to, you know, try to yeah, cut the, the taxes. The Trump tax cut was $2 trillion. You know, it was $1.5 trillion immediately and $2 trillion within three years. It's going to end up being around 6 or $7 trillion over the decade. Um, but j- just George Bush's two illegal wars are $8 trillion, Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, it's amazing. We just throw money at stuff, you know. Well, let's, let's give ourselves a national health care system. That's only $1 trillion. And and you also refer to it um, as it's considered in some other countries a right and not a privilege. Yes, that, that, that's the predicating assumption. If if you start out by saying that healthcare is a right, if we were to simply write that into law, then the government, uh, the federal government, uh, for sure, and and arguably state and local governments right across the board. Uh, then they they acquire the obligation to figure out how to make that available, how to make that the case, and um, so yeah, I think that we need to, um, you know, post haste establish healthcare as a right and not a privilege. Who has to accept that notion to begin the process of change? Uh, well, it would it would have to be the federal government. I mean, you know, you, uh, I suppose individual states could define a right like that, but it would be, um, it really wouldn't be meaningful until it was done at the federal level. And the problem that states have, I mean, you've got two states now, California and Vermont, that have both passed single-payer health care system legislation. And the problem that both of them ran head-on into is that the way our Medicare and Medicaid systems are structured, that money can only go basically from the federal government to the people that it's serving. Um, you know, in the case of Medicaid, it goes through the states, but there's this very clear path that has to be followed. And so if a state establishes a single-payer health care system, they have to pick up the cost for all those people who are now on Medicare or Medicaid, but they can't be reimbursed by the federal government for those costs. Expenses that the federal government right now is paying. All of a sudden, as soon as you know Vermont passed that law, they realized that Medicare and Medicaid were going to stop sending a couple billion dollars a year into the state, and the state was going to have to start paying that money on top of you know the single payer system for everybody else, and so it just became non viable. This is just a weird little um, exception to the law, a, a loophole, as it were, in the law in the Medicare and Medicaid laws, 
and uh, it should be very easy to fix with a very simple piece of legislation, which has been proposed year after year after year. Uh, it's called the Medicare and Medicaid waivers, state waivers, and uh, the health insurance companies always lobby to get those that law killed now, because I'm, it'll allow states to do single payer, which I, is how Canada got their system. I remember people talking about when the Affordable Care Act was uh, being debated and then ultimately passed that it was based to some degree on a system that was already in place in Massachusetts. Um, That's correct. Does does that uh, comparison hold up, and, and how is Massachusetts doing now? Massachusetts is doing okay. Um, uh, where this all came from was actually the Heritage Foundation. Back in the 80s, the Heritage Foundation, the right-wing think tank that had been funded by the Koch brothers and their billionaire buddies, um, they were looking at a way to provide health care to all Americans that used what they referred to as free market principles. In other words, somebody makes a buck off it, right? It's a for-profit system that will provide health care, uh, yeah, health, health care, health insurance to everybody. And so they came up with this system that um, is what we call Obamacare. And when Mitt Romney got elected governor of Massachusetts uh, in 2000, I think it was, he put that into place, or maybe, maybe it was 98, 98, but anyway, right around then, he put that into place in Massachusetts, and it worked really, really well. And, uh, you know, all things considered. And uh, so Barack Obama, when he came along, said, okay, this is, this is something that was created by a right-wing conservative think tank it embraces free market principles it was put into place uh by a republican governor who actually you know romney ran for president saying look at what i did in massachusetts isn't that wonderful you know and uh you know so let's just do this at the federal level why would the republicans object and of course they objected anyway but uh that, that's but there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world it's it's a it's still a kludge kludgy system how did Lieberman end up on um, Al Gore's ticket, um, given his um, not very progressive leanings? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why that popped into my head, Tom, and it's it's way off he's the guy, topic. Lieberman but, is the guy, well, there's a chapter about him in the book. You know, he's the guy who took $1.3 million from the health insurance industry and then killed single-payer, single which would have allowed Medicare to compete with these for-profit health insurance companies. So you can pin that on Joe Lieberman. And there's a pretty significant difference in uh, administrative costs between Medicare and the for-profit uh, insurance company. Yeah, options. Medicare runs between 2 and 3%, depending on whether you count the cost of the federal buildings. And uh, the for-profit health insurance industry uh, is capped out at 20%. They used to make as much as 30 35%, uh, but the Affordable Care Act capped them at 20% that they can skim off the top. Well, one of the things that I really like about your uh, Hidden History series, Tom, is the way you take some very complicated things and and lay them out in a way that people can understand them and look at alternatives to the way it's being done. We don't always see that. We see criticism a lot, but we don't always see suggestions for how to do it differently. And and these books offer that. And this newest one, The Hidden History of American Healthcare, 
why sickness bankrupts you and makes others insanely rich and and i'll just ask you know just just very quickly for you to to sum up what you're hoping readers will get out of the book well it's it's uh, it tells the story of healthcare in the united states and around the world really and and how a single payer system or a medicare for all system will save us money improve our health outcomes and help us join the rest of the developed world in in you know advancing the rights of humanity so it's it's sort of how we got to here and where we ought to go from here and how we might do it that's a good way to say it well, Tom, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and as, uh, um, as, as you should know by now, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, the, my main project these days is HartmanReport.com. And it's where I, every five days a week, I post a uh, an op-ed there, which becomes typically the, the main rant for my radio show. And <laughs> you know, no ads, no fees, no nothing. It's just there at HartmanReport.com. HartmanReport.com. That's Hartman with two N's? Yeah, although we also have the one N one. So, yeah. Good thinking. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I know how that works. I, I'm always surprised when I talk to somebody and they say, you know, my my uh, my website is BillJohnson23.com. And uh, it says I was yeah. surprised that there was a Bill Johnson 1 through 22. <laughs> anyway, Tom, thanks again and uh, keep up the good work. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Take care. Great talking with you, Tom. Thanks. Bye-bye. Progressive radio host and New York Times bestselling author Tom Hartman talking about his uh, latest book, The Hidden History of American Healthcare, Why Sickness Bankrupts You and Makes Others Insanely Rich. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. This is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago 
with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, 
The Bickerson. After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or slugger's disease, John Bickerson had finally consented to allow Dr. Hershey to relieve his condition. In room 113 at the General Hospital, Mrs. Bickerson watches anxiously as a surgical nurse ministers to poor John, who is suffering an attack the night before the operation. Listen. Oh, it's like being married to a steam shovel nurse. Cough's normal. Enjoy yourself, dear. Dr. Hershey's waiting for you in the corridor, Mrs. Bickerson. Oh, hello, doctor. Is he resting? I gave him a sedative. That'll quiet him down. Well, he isn't very quiet. Oh, well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. I won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatsoever. Will it hurt him? Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula. I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hershey, but how much will it cost? The fee will be $50 with the anesthetic. How much is it without the anesthetic? I would say about $40. Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic? Not for me, there wouldn't. I wouldn't advise the operation without it. And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first thing about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll just stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything. Oh, I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John, wake up! What? What's the matter, Blanche? Uh, what's the matter, huh? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, and I, and I hung up... John, uh, we're in the hospital. What for? Is somebody sick? No, you're going to have an operation. Dr. Hershey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then what did you wake me up now for? Well, you were snoring, and I was afraid you'd wear it off before you got a chance to operate. You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose I want to sleep, too? You're not sleeping here, are you? Yes, I am. It costs another $5 to put another cart in the room. I... And I intend to use it. I can't get one night's sleep. Where's my nightgown? Not even in the hospital. I don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do this. I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress. What are you going on about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around with a short uvula. Don't be so crabby. I'm not crabby. I'm just sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling with that mirror and put out the lights? I have to get undressed, don't I? Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't even know you had bald eyelids. My eyelids are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. What kind of a remark is that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair? It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. 
I have to wear it for the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Oh, darn it, I can't get out of this dress. Blanche, what are those things? <laughs> silly. Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before? Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chairs. What about it? That's you all over, Blanche. No one can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now? Yes, dear. I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little? No, put out the lights. Oh, I wanted to glance at the paper first. You go ahead and go to sleep. I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home. Well, I won't be a minute. No one would believe this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest, and here I'm... Shh! I can't concentrate with you mumbling. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk? Listen to what's... Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hershey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. Oh, that's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. I see the stock market is going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year? Ten shares. Kentucky Salt Petermann's preferred stock. My brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is that now? In the ground. I can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Are you getting relaxed, dear? No, now I'm starting to get nervous. I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think? We'll, uh, sneak out, huh? No. I think you should make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercies of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, they'll... Don't talk like that. Can't you say pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother. You could be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. Every man should make out a will. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. Get up now. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, and make out a will. Well, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You are the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything besides you. Okay, so now... You've got it all, my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief, marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hershey. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money. He'll drive around my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, <laughs> loaf around like the French, never do a day's work. Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? And then screaming like that up and go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. I'm a nervous wreck. She practically walks me into a funeral. Mary's a doctor behind my back. Now she tells me to go to sleep. I'll never sleep. 
another wink as long as I... John, the telephone. The telephone. Answer no. it! No. Who, who the dickens is calling? Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get up for? It's right on the night table beside your bed. I thought I was, uh... Hello? Mrs. Renesis, this is your maternity nurse. You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby in. What? Blanche, how long have I been here? Isn't he 413? I don't know what this is, but I'm not feeding any babies. A way to run a hospital. It's just a mistake, John. No, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser. Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away. The turkey would gobble? I can just see... Turkey? What turkey? Well, I was going to surprise you. I won a turkey in a raffle, John. You've got a live turkey running around the house? He isn't running around. I've got him tied to your bed. On my bed? What'd you do that for? I'll have the whole thing full of feathers. What'll we do with a live turkey? Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner. I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. (laughs) Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation. I don't think I want you to have it. What's the least I can do for you? Kept you awake all these years with my snoring, and when Dr. Hershey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse. But if you stop snoring, I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we? That's right. Well, that settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John. Why not? It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on, we're going home. I give up. Old Fashioned Radio for a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>